right, good morning, everybody. So Pastor Dave is, was that? <laughs> yes, new dad, woo! Yes, thank you. Yeah, being a dad is awesome. It's changed my life forever. But today, Pastor Dave is guest speaking in Scottsdale. So because of that, we get the privilege of having a guest speaker of Cody, Pastor Cody Bren here. Woo, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Cody is the co-pastor of Village Church in Red Rock. Yeah, it's, yeah, woo, Red Rock. <laughs> um, God called him and Ashley Jennings um, to, to co-pastor a church in Red Rock about three and a half years ago, and God is just moving so awesome. We, we've done a prayer right out there. We love to support them and just so appreciative and thankful and just in awe of what God is doing there. In three and a half years, they've already sent out a, I guess it's called a daughter church. I called it a sister church. We're a sister. That's their daughter church. <laughs> they sent out a daughter church to Glen, uh, sorry. Gladden, Farms. Gladden Farms. There you go. Gladden Farms. And so God's just doing awesome things in this church. This is Pastor Cody Bren. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, hey. Well, thanks so much for having me. And a big shout out to Gospel Rescue Mission this morning. Such an amazing thing. I'm going to do my best not to break the camera this morning, but uh, we'll see. I might not have much control over that one this morning, right? But uh, um, we are so, uh, so thankful. I'm so thankful to be here this morning. You know, uh, Christian Faith Fellowship means a lot to Village Church. Uh, when we first came out here... Uh, your church welcomed us with open arms and brought us here, and I, I don't know if any of you were here that day, but, um, you know, Ashley, my co-pastor, and I and our families came up, and uh, Dave prayed over us, and we even got to be knighted, which was one of the coolest things ever for us, and so um, we, just, we just can't thank you enough for, your, for, for being our family to be honest, and that whenever we have a prayer initiative or something, uh, we can count on you guys being there. And so, so thankful for that. We just love you guys so much. So just had to say that for sure. And um, those of you at Gospel Rescue Mission, uh, again, just welcome, and we're so glad that you're here with us, able to join us. What a miracle technology is, amen? And so uh, at Gospel Rescue Mission, we have an amazing team of volunteers there with you. They have blue shirts on, and they are there for you. And so if you need prayer, if you need anything at any moment, they are there to help and be with you. And so, again, we're just so excited for what this day represents for Christian Faith Fellowship. Amen. And what God is doing here. Absolutely. Well, we're going to jump right in this morning, and uh, I'm going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 5. If you want to get your Bibles open, your phones uh, clicked to that passage right now, I'd love for you to follow along with me. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Beatitudes. This is Jesus' first sermon to the people right now. And so we can probably assume that his words here are pretty important. Amen. If this is the first public declaration uh, that Jesus gives, it's probably safe to assume it's an important one. Not that Jesus ever wasted any words, right? But we know this was an absolutely vital piece of his teaching. It's a deeply rich passage that we're going to be going through this morning. And so would you join me as I read this? Here we go. Matthew 5, starting at verse 1 through verse 16. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. 
He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's a powerful passage, amen? Amen. And I think oftentimes this is one of those passages that we see written on a poster somewhere or, uh, you know, we've seen many times in our lives, kind of like the Ten Commandments, and we see it, and it's just, well, there's the Beatitudes. Neat, right? And and oftentimes, even as we read Scripture, we'll often kind of read this portion, but just kind of, Let's just move through it, right? I know this part. We know this part, right? It's easy to skip over because it's such an important passage and because we've elevated this passage, and rightly so. But this morning, we need to unpack its true meaning and what Jesus intended for the listener then and the listener today. And it means just as much today as it did then. Amen? So what I love first and foremost is that Jesus is up on this mountainside. And so here's Jesus. He just uh, come from the wilderness experience, being tempted for 40 days. He had gone through that time where he had surrendered more and more and more of himself and died to himself so that he could be the fullness of who God needed him to be. He made it through his wilderness. And then he called the disciples. He announced himself and who he was, and he called the disciples, and now here he is with his disciples on the side of this mountain. And to the Jews, this mountaintop experience would have meant more than just a happenstance location. Mountaintop experiences were found throughout the Old Testament teachings. We think of Abraham and Isaac, Abraham taking Isaac to this mountaintop experience where God asked him to do this unthinkable thing, sacrifice his own son. But there on that mountaintop, God showed himself to be so merciful and so good and spared Abraham and Isaac from that moment and provided a way out. And now we have Jesus on this mountaintop experience saying, I am the way out. I am the Lamb of God. I am the sacrifice. I am the way out. And then, of course, we know Moses and the Ten Commandments. Everyone knows that story, and they would have, of course, known that story so well in that day as Jews, right? And so they know the importance of what that means. Moses receiving these tablets and coming down that they were written by God himself. What an amazing thing, right? And they would have known this. And here's Jesus 
And Jesus came, he came to fulfill the law that they know, knew, not to abolish it. But in this moment, he's flipping their understanding of what the Ten Commandments meant on its head. Whereas the Ten Commandments said, you should not, you shall not do these things. Jesus is saying, it's not about what you don't do. It's about who you are. He's flipping that on its head. It's not about actions. It's about the heart. And so here, the Jews would have known that. And I even love that immediately after the Ten Commandments are given, Moses gives the direction from God on what the tabernacle should be, this holding place for the presence of God. And Jesus is here to pave the way so that we can all have the indwelling of the presence of God. Amazing fulfillment in that moment. And then I love Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Here's Elijah calling down glory of God in the form of fire to consume the sin and the brokenness in that moment. And here's Jesus paving the way for the fire of the Holy Spirit to consume us all. Isn't it incredible? Isn't it rich? And this is just the subtext of what's going on. And there's much more to it. We could spend weeks on the subtext of what Jesus is saying here, but the words themselves cannot be ignored. See, the purpose of this message, the context for the hearers of this message was one of conviction. Jesus wasn't just spewing words for people to hear that sounded good. He was cutting to their hearts. See, the Jews in that time, they would have expected Jesus to get up on this mountainside and say, you are blessed because you are children of Abraham. You are blessed because you follow the law. You are blessed because of the time you spend at the temple and the rituals that you observe. But he didn't say that, did he? And they expected that. And so for them in that moment, it would have caused confusion, conviction. This moment of saying, who is this man? And what does this mean for us? See, Jesus came to usher in an upside-down kingdom understanding of things. A paradigm shift that changed our understanding, changed our outlook on ourselves, on others, on the world around us. Jesus came to flip everything on its head. And he's done that here. And he continues to do that. But with his first declaration, he flips everything on its head. And he walks this line of kingdom tension perfectly here. Notice that Jesus does not start this proclamation by saying, you all have it wrong, you're messed up, I can't stand you, I'm tired of this nonsense, and here's what we're going to do now, right? He doesn't do that, right? He doesn't scold, he just provides truth. And he lets the deep cutting conviction of the Holy Spirit do its work in that moment. Conviction abounded in this word from Jesus. See, he was trying to get across in so many of these words that it's not just about you. It's not about what you do and the decisions you make for yourself. 
It's about others as well. It's about how you treat others, how you see others, how you love others. It's about us, but it's about them just as much. That's vital. And he also, in this moment, was bucking their, their uh, hope in who the Messiah would be, their belief in who the Messiah would be. They thought the Messiah was going to come on this war horse with a sword drawn and completely annihilate their Roman overlords in this moment. But the thing is, is that Jesus did not come to conquer the Romans, did he? He came to conquer the heart. He did not come to spare them from the Roman sword at their throats. He came to free them from the sword that they were holding to their own throats. That's what Jesus does. That's what he was ushering in. Because if the Romans were conquered, there'd be more conquerors later. But if Jesus could conquer the heart, that's eternal. That's eternal. Amen? So he's showing them the importance of who he is and what he was truly providing. And that truth, these truths, have not changed for us today. These amazing truths given to the Jewish people at that time, they are still just as deep, just as rich for us hearing them today. This word is just as vital for us today as it was 2,000 years ago to the hearers then. And I'll tell you, we cannot hear these words. Listen to me right now. We cannot hear these words and remain unchanged. We cannot do it. Because then we do a disservice to the message in the heart of Jesus. We cannot remain unchanged there was a, a speaker at a church conference I went to a couple years ago, and uh, this church conference was for uh, church planters, and so it was filled with leaders and um, pastors, and there was about 5,000 people in this room. And uh, we, we listened to a series of speakers, and one speaker got up from India, and uh, he began to talk about the, the church planting movement happening in India where his organization that he was a part of had personally seen 20,000 churches planted in India. Did you hear me? 20,000. And there's other organizations in India that have seen 70,000 churches planted and they have a goal of 100,000 churches planted. That's churches, not people saved. That's entire churches started filled with new believers. And so, you know, what this man was saying garnered instant respect from all of us pastors, right? This is kingdom work in an incredible scale happening. And then, in the middle of his sermon, he said, you know, many of you here today need to repent for the amount of time that you spend on your sermons. He said, many of you spend 30 or 40 hours a week prepping a sermon when there are broken lives in your community that you should be going and knocking on the door of and loving people into the arms of Jesus. When I was in ministry school, we were taught that you are supposed to spend one hour 
in prep for every minute that you speak. So a 45-minute sermon, 45 hours just in prep time. That's not just unique to me. Many have heard that. Many pastors in here today, I'm sure they heard the same thing. George, did you hear that? No, you never heard that? Well, awesome. I'm glad it missed you. I'm glad it missed you. But man, I heard that so many times in, uh, in ministry school. And you know what? The moment that he said that, this hush fell over 5,000 people. It was a deafening silence. You know what I mean when I say that, right? It was just like palpable. Something just happened. And there was a there was a, what I assume is a pastor a few rows ahead of me, and he had his big Bible in his hand. And in that moment, his head just flew back in his seat, and his arms went out, and he just went, oh, <laughs> this deep, guttural, convicting groan, because he knew, he knew the speaker was right. And I think that is the response, and that kind of noise would have been heard all scattered throughout the crowd as Jesus presented the Beatitudes in this moment. Deep-seated conviction over every one of these statements. Every single one was like a heat-seeking missile to their hearts, to their understandings in that moment. And I think if we allow it, I know if we allow it, they can be the same for us today. And so are you willing to be open to the loving conviction and correction from the Holy Spirit today through this word? You're willing? Amen. Thank you. I'm going to reread every one of these. And I want us to open ourselves up. I'm going to read this in a different version. Um, This is out of the message version. And so if you want to follow along, feel free. But I'm going to read these, and I just want you to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding in this moment. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Some of us today need to hear that. In a culture, in a society where we're told to make a living for ourselves and to to scrape together as much control over our lives as possible, it's pretty hard to let go of all those things and say, God, you can have control. It's not a bad thing to be a hard worker, but we have to know what we're working for. Amen? Some of us today need to let go of the end of the rope and allow ourselves to fall and be caught in the arms of our Father. That word is for some of you this morning, I know, because these words still cut deep today. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Mourning is a tricky thing. We go through pain in this life. We mourn the loss of loved ones, friends, family, relatives, right? We mourn those things, and we mourn the loss of dreams that we have to give up on sometimes. There's much to mourn in this broken world, but too often we let our broken 
mourning, and pain become our identity. And we let our mourning and our grief trump the victory found in Jesus Christ in the cross. Some of us today have been clinging to pain, wearing it like a badge of honor or something. We've been clinging to grief in our life with both hands wrapped tightly around it because we're afraid of what it'll look like if we let go of it. But Jesus is asking us to trust him, to let go of that grief, to let go of that pain, so then our hands and our arms can be open to embrace him. Some of you need to hear that today. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. Boy, isn't that a word for us today. In this social media lifestyle we have, and I know we rail against social media like crazy as pastors because it's easy. It's an easy target. But listen to me. We know it's true. We seek the approval of man way over the approval of God. We pray, we, we hope, we look at our phones hoping that the last post we had received receives a couple likes so that somebody sees us. We crave to be seen and acknowledged by men and women around us. When, when God is trying to pour out his approval on us, but we block that and we say, no, I want man's approval more than yours. This is more important to me. And so we tweet things out, we retweet and we like and we post in desperate hope that somebody will see us, approve of us, and believe in us when God already does. That's a word that many of us need this morning, that our culture needs this morning. Amen? See, as soon as we are content with who we are, I love this. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. True satisfaction. True significance in the eyes of our Father. Next, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Love that. Some of us have forgotten how to be hungry for God. And some of us may, may recognize the hunger that groans deep in our spirit for what God has for us, but we don't recognize that God's the one that can fill that. And so we fill it with everything we can find, everything we can think of. We fill that hunger. We sate those hunger pains with garbage. I, I know exactly how well or, or, or poorly I'm doing depending on how many Netflix shows I can watch in a day. If I watch a, a whole season of something in a day, I'm in trouble. I'm not doing well, right? Because I'm avoiding something like crazy. And there's a hunger brewing in me that can only be sated by the Father, and I'm trying to fill it up with episodes of The Office. Right? Right? <laughs> 
It's dangerous, though. It's dangerous. Some of us, we, we say we want the fullness of God, but we've forgotten how to be hungry for him in the first place. And so this morning, maybe that word is for you. Maybe you've forgotten how to be hungry because he's the food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Mm. Absolutely. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, that's two separate words, careful, you find yourself cared for. We get hurt in this life. Relationships can hurt us. They can burn us. So many of us have let people get close to us in our lives only for them to hurt us deeply and profoundly in ways we did not expect when we let them in in the first place. Often it's our own family members that can do that to us. And so as a response, oftentimes we wall up around us. We build these protective barriers between us and anyone else, and we keep everyone at arm's length. The Jewish people had a wall around their city. And Jesus is saying that wall needs to come down. You need to start caring about others. You need to let people in. As scary as that can be at times, that is what we are called to do as believers, as representatives of Jesus Christ who let us in and who never keeps us at an arm's length. We have to show that kind of love to this world and we have to be willing to be hurt sometimes. We have to be willing to love enough that we might be hurt sometimes. Maybe that word's for you this morning. Maybe the Holy Spirit is asking you to care again. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. This is for all of us in some degree, right? Our inside world what we keep to ourselves, what we think nobody on the outside world can see. And maybe sometimes that's what we're trying to be careful of with others, is that we don't want them to see what's really going on inside of us. The brokenness, the fear, the worry, the insecurity, the lies that we live in. We're afraid to let others in, and we even keep God at an arm's length from that as well. Somehow thinking that if we keep him at an arm's length, he'll never discover what's going on inside of us. But we know that's folly. We know that's folly. He knows. And he is desperate to get in there and set things right. Jesus died on the cross for the privilege to set things right for us. There's a verse in Romans that out of the message version, I just, I love the way it speaks. In Romans 8, if you ever want to read that, it's powerful, but it says that Jesus entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. 
He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity. Too often we assume that Jesus is on some high, pristine platform. There, there's no sin, there's no brokenness, there's no junk here. And he's just looking at us down there going, okay, anytime you want to come out of that hole, I'm right here, here's my hand. I, I don't want to get myself dirty with all your nonsense down there. But, uh, but you know, I'll, I'll reach a hand out. No, he jumps in it head first. He sits down and he shuffles himself in our junk, in our sin, in our brokenness. And he says, I'm here. What now? Your move. I'm not afraid of any of this nonsense. I'm not afraid of what you think I should be afraid of. I love you too much to let you sit in that any longer. Let me in. Let me in. He wants to set it right once and for all. Will you let him? Will you stop hiding? Stop pretending like he doesn't know what's going on. Would you let him in? Because when we do, when our inside world gets put right, then we can see the outside world the way God needs us to. And don't you want to have that kind of perspective? I don't want to look at people like they're broken like me. I want to look at people like they can be freed like me. I want to have that kind of vision over the people that God puts in my life. I want to be able to tell them, look what I've been freed from. Look at the junk that I've been pulled out of. And let me tell you, Jesus wants to do the same for you. He doesn't want you living in that anymore. Let me show you. That's what it means to be pure in heart. That's what's at stake to be pure in heart. Is when we stay broken inside, then others around us will stay broken inside as well. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Oof. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. You think our culture needs to hear that word? We need peacemakers in this world, don't we? Too often we're looking for a fight. We like to pick a fight. And we think that we're somehow in the right when we accost someone for their belief system and we, we try to condemn them and make them feel terrible for it, right? Did Jesus do that with the Jews here? Did he? Was he condemning of them? No, he was saying there's more. There's better for you. Let me show you a better way. And that is our role as peacemakers. I've heard it said from some people that they kind of think of being a peacemaker as being someone who's totally neutral. Yeah, I just stay out of it. You know, I just, I don't want to engage in any of that nonsense. And so I just let the craziness happen. And then I'll just show up later and be like, hey, what's up? Oh, something happened? I didn't know. Well, we're, I'm good though. You know, like we like to ignore it, right? That's playing it safe. But then we have people on the other end of the spectrum who think that, you know, being openly combative is the way we're a peacemaker, right? But Jesus walked that tension perfectly. And he's asking us to walk it perfectly as well as peacemakers. To love people. 
to show people a better way. But it has to start in us. We have to live and model the better way. We have to live and model what we are preaching, what we're expecting others to put away. We have to put away ourselves. Blessed are the peacemakers. (laughs) You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. So many of us live in fear of sharing the truth of who Jesus is. We're afraid of the persecution. We're afraid of what someone might say. We're afraid of how someone might look at us from now on. But Jesus is saying you're actually blessed when you wear that, when you take the chance. Because isn't it better to take the chance for someone to raise an eyebrow at you, right? Maybe that'll happen, but maybe the person you're sharing with will come into a life-changing, life-altering, future-defining relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're for. That's what we're made for. That's what we're meant for. You know, going back to peace, just, just briefly here, you know, peace biblically is this incredible word in the New Testament especially, and I love the idea of what, it, if you really unpack and do a word study on what peace looks like, peace is, is not, uh, in our understanding, oftentimes we think of peace as just following war or being between wars, right? We're in peacetime or wartime, right? But the biblical idea of peace and the peace that Jesus provides is a restoration from the war. It's as if the war never even happened. And so when we step into being a peacemaker, when we step into the lives of the broken, and when we risk persecution, what we're doing is we're stepping into a wartime situation so that we might be able to provide peace in Jesus that will restore the war to where as if it never even happened. So there's no aftermath of the war that we have to face. There's no rubble. It's put right once and for all. It's amazing. And I love that it goes on in that it says, not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. Here's here's awesome. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. We are called sometimes to make people uncomfortable. Many of you here are uncomfortable right now, right? The Holy Spirit's working in you right now, and you got some discomfort happening, right? It's good, though. That discomfort drives us to a decision. Are we going to remain in the discomfort, or are we going to get out of it? And our role is to see others and to present that opportunity for others in our lives. It's okay to make people uncomfortable with the love of Jesus sometimes because that discomfort might drive them into his arms. Yeah, it's okay to make people uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens, it says. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applause. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. 
I love the way it puts that. You ready to get into some trouble? Right? See, I want to be in the company of the prophets and the witnesses. Because you know what? He doesn't mention the other people. The prophets and the witnesses are the ones recorded. They're the ones mentioned here. I want to be in that company. I want that to be a legacy of mine. He said, I could be called a troublemaker for Jesus. Right? But here's some heavy truth along with this. We've talked a lot about blessings in these Beatitudes, amen? And we love to hear the blessings. But so often throughout Scripture, we hear blessings and curses side by side. And I think, I'm not, I don't know this for sure, I've heard other pastors say it this way, but I think we could be safe to assume that when Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you do these things, I think we can assume that when we don't do those things, we're living in the curse. So there is a lot of weight to what Jesus is saying here. It's not just, hey, your life will be better if you do these things, and hey, you might be able to experience blessing if you do these things. He's also saying, I'm calling you out of the curse right now. I'm calling you out of a cursed way of living, a cursed life, a curse hanging over your heads. He's calling us out of those things. And here's the thing. That should be deeply convicting to us. This passage should be deeply convicting. I think we should read this passage every week. (laughs) Have it on your mirror when you're getting ready. Let that be convicting to you. Open yourself up and say, Holy Spirit, what do you need me to change today? What do you need me to leave behind? But conviction requires a response, as we said before. And these words from Jesus that he's speaking right now, a response to these words will either result in blessing or curse. Because our options is either we respond or we don't. We don't get to stay where we are. It's truth. We don't get to stay where we are and just think we're fine. If we hear the infallible true word of God in our lives and it cuts us to the core and he's calling us out of something, if we remain in that, we're willfully choosing to disobey God. We don't want that. I know you don't want that. And so this morning, we're going to give an opportunity to respond. And the proper response to these words, to this kind of conviction, is repentance. Beautiful, beautiful surrender and repentance. And so what we're going to do now is I'm going to reread these again. But this time, I'm going to ask that you keep your eyes closed And I'm going to ask that if the Holy Spirit is moving in you in a convicting way on any one of these, I'm going to ask that as I read these again, you stand in an act of repentance. And you step into the blessing that Jesus wants to provide for you, and you leave the curse behind in your seat. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. I'm going to pray. 
Holy Spirit, thank you so much for your word, for your love for us, the way that you draw us out. The fact that you're not scolding us here, you're not shaming us here, you're telling us that there's more, that you believe in us, and that you want better and good things for us. You want blessing in our lives, and you're ready to pour that blessing out over us if we'll just leave the curse behind. We thank you for the opportunity for the blessing, Jesus. We know it's because of the cross that we can even have these conversations. Thank you, Jesus, for these words that you spoke so long ago, that they mean just as much to us today as they did then. Holy Spirit, just continue your work as we read these aloud. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. If you need to repent of clinging to that rope this morning, would you stand, would you leave the curse behind, and would you step forth into blessing in your life? Amen. I'm so proud of you. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. If you've been clinging to loss, if you've been clinging to pain in your life, if you've held on with both hands tightly to those things, not knowing how to let go, would you let go this morning? Would you stand in an act of repentance, leave those things behind, and open your hands so that you can receive the fullness of Jesus this morning? You can receive his blessing and leave the curse behind. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. If this morning you've been fighting with who you are and who you think you need to be and you've been seeking approval from other people instead of from God, would you stand, repent, and leave that behind. Thank you, Jesus. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Maybe you've forgotten how to be hungry for God. Or maybe you know that you've been hungry, but you've been filling it with other things. This morning, if you need to repent of filling that hunger with other things in your life, would you leave the curse that that represents behind and would you stand in repentance and step forth into blessing? You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. If you've forgotten how to care, if you've made choices to distance yourself from others because you fear what it might represent if you get too close, would you repent of that? Would you stand and say, Jesus, I'm willing to care about the people around me again. I'm willing to let people in. Would you stand in an active repentance of that? Leave the curse. Stand in the blessing.
You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. If your inside world needs to be set right, you know exactly what that means. Don't need to go into detail there, but you know exactly what that means this morning. If you know that your inside world needs to be put right, and you need to let Jesus in to do the transforming work that he has been begging to let you do, would you stand in an act of repentance and know that as you stand, you are opening yourself up to letting Jesus in and set things right? You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. If you've been if you've been the one stirring up strife sometimes, stirring up argument, maybe you've been operating the opposite of what a peacemaker should, or maybe you've just remained neutral in your life. But right now, if you know that the Holy Spirit is drawing you out of that and into becoming a peacemaker for him and his kingdom, would you stand in an act of repentance from who you haven't been and accept the mantle of who God is asking you to be? Thank you, Jesus. And you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. If you've been afraid of persecution to the point that you have stopped even thinking about sharing, if you've been paralyzed by that fear of what someone might think of you or might say about you, we need to repent of those things. God is calling us for a purpose, not just for us, but for those who are desperate for him as well. And would you stand in an act of repentance of being afraid to show others who Jesus truly is? Come out of the curse and step into the blessing. If you haven't stood, that's great, but I'm going to ask everybody to stand now, including those at Gospel Rescue Mission, I want everybody to stand in this moment. If you need prayer, um, especially at Gospel Rescue Mission, just raise your hand and, and one of our volunteers will help you. But, but I want us to surrender afresh and anew right here, right now, our lives to God, our lives for his purposes. Many of you have repented and left the curse behind. And so let's own the decisions that we've made today as a church. Let's own the purpose that God is calling us into as a body of believers so that we can see this world impacted and one for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We repent. We're so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to repent and leave the curse behind. Father, we know that right now you are so proud of those that have stepped forward into repentance and left the curse behind. You are just beaming ear to ear right now. I know. Thank you. 
for your great love for us. Thank you for your blessing over us in this moment. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much that the sounds of repentance, the guttural moans and the tears that fall, those are the sweetest sounds to your ears because they represent the opportunity for rebirth, for renewal, for things to be set right once and for all. So Father, we surrender ourselves afresh and anew today. On the 6th of October, may this be a turning point for so many of us that we leave the mantle of the curse behind and we step forward in the purpose of the blessing not just for us, but so that we can see others brought into the blessing as well. Father, we give you it all. We surrender it all to you right here, right now. Thank you for receiving it. Thank you for your love. Thank you. In your name we pray. You may be seated. Who are we going to be when we leave this place? You have a decision. As soon as I finish speaking, there's probably going to be music that comes on, maybe, and people are going to get dismissed, and you're going to walk out those doors, and you're going to go to lunch with somebody, maybe, you're going to get in your vehicles, you're going to turn the radio on, and it's going to be very easy to forget the decision that you've made today. What are you going to do to make sure that this takes? To make sure that you don't find yourself in a day's time or a week's time in a month or a month's time having to repent for the same exact thing again? Your Christian brothers and sisters around you are here to provide accountability, to provide a safe place to work these things through, to provide a place that you can call and say, you know what, I think I'm stepping back into the curse. Will you pray with me and help me get out of this? That's what we're here for. That's what this body is about. We are not an island. We're not supposed to do this on our own. The enemy tries to whisper in our ear to tell us, you're on your own good luck. But that's not the way it is, is it? You have an amazing, amazing community around you to help you to remember, to not forget the decisions that you've made, who you want to be, who you will be. And you know what? These Beatitudes, I pray that we'd all be peacemakers for each other when we see someone maybe on social media or something like kind of straying from the decisions that they've made maybe in these services, I pray that we can be like Jesus and say, hey, I love you. That's not what Jesus wants for you. And call each other into that kind of correction. Are you willing to be the peacemakers? Are you willing to be the poor in spirit? Are you willing to be meek? Are you willing to hunger for God again? Then let's do that together, amen?
I love you. I'm so proud of you. God is proud of you for the decisions that you've made today. Go and be examples of what kingdom freedom looks like. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you guys.